0: Welcome to the Outpouring Orlando Sermon Podcast. The Outpouring is a vibrant, Christ-centered church in sunny Orlando, Florida. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy today's message by Pastor John Daniels. Uh, Let's read uh, Luke 15, verses 11-32. I'm going to read the story, and it says this. He also said, a man had two sons. This is Jesus speaking. The younger of them said to his father... Father, give me the share of the estate I have coming to me. So he distributed the assets to them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered together all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squandered his estate in foolish living. After he had spent everything, a severe famine struck that country and he had nothing. Then he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him into his fields to feed pigs. He longed to eat his field from the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one would give him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's hired servants? Or hired workers have more than enough food, and I am here dying of hunger. I'll get up, go to my father, and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven, and in your sight I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired workers. So he got up and went to his father, but while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. He ran through his arms around his neck and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father told his servants, quick, bring out the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf and slaughter it and let's celebrate with a feast. Because this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he is found. So they began to celebrate. Now his older brother was, the older son was in the field and as he came to the house, he heard music, and dancing, and they were singing Old Town Road, and he heard this. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. And your brother is here, he told him, and your, your father has slaughtered the fattened calf because he has found him back and he's safe and sound. Then he became angry and he didn't want to go in. So his father came out and, and pleaded with him, but, but he replied to his father, Look, I have been slaving many years. For you, and I've never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fat calf for him. Son, he said, you-, you are always with me, and everything that I have is yours. But we had to, we don't have an option. It was, the, the, it was divine that we had to celebrate and rejoice because this brother of yours, he, he was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Let us pray. Father, we, we just thank you today. We honor you today, God. I, I pray, Lord, that today would be transformative for us, Oftentimes, God, we come to church and we, we, we leave exactly the same way we were when we came in. No change, nothing different, no transformation, no renewing of the mind. But today, God, I pray that whatever you have to do in our hearts and in our minds to break down the walls, the chains, whatever it is that separates us from you, Lord, I pray that you would just break through those things today. Lord, I pray that your word would not be taken lightly, God, but that we would sit and listen and hear and receive and respond to what you have to say. Lord, I pray that today we go from apathetic Christians, God, to Christians who are in pursuit of a holy God. Lord, I pray that your work would do more than anything that I could ever say. I pray your work would do more than anything that I I could ever show. Lord, I I pray today for something different, something radical to happen today, Lord. I pray, I lean on your mercy for today to be totally, completely different than Sunday's previous, Lord. I pray that those who are just okay, God, with being average, okay with being normal, okay with sitting on the sidelines, okay with living the same life, I pray, God, that you would set them free today, Lord. I, I pray, Lord, that you would do something above Whatever we could ask or think, God, let today be different. God, let it be different, Lord. And so, Father, I, I thank you today, God, for victory in the lives of your people, Lord. I pray today that those who who call themselves Christians in name, but, God, that, that's it. They, they have reduced you down to a place that they go on Sunday. I pray that this would turn into something completely different today. And so, Father, we just want to honor you in Lift up your son, Jesus, today. So, Lord, let his name be made great. Lord, let us see him in a new light. Do something in our hearts today, in our midst today. Change us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And the people of God said amen. amen. You may be seated. My, my sermon title this morning is The Prodigal. The Prodigal. Today I want to bring your attention to a gentleman by the name of Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker. Antoine Walker was the sixth overall pick in what many consider the deepest NBA draft class. To name a few people who were in that 1996 draft class, to get your attention, I want to call some of these folks' name out. The the first person that was taken in the 1996 draft was the greatest basketball player to ever live. No, no, not Michael. No, no, not LeBron, uh, but Allen Iverson. Also included in that draft class was Kobe Bryant, Stephon Marbury, Ray Allen, Steve Nash, Paige Stoyakovic, and Jermaine O'Neal, just to name a few. But in that class, Antoine Walker, who was the sixth pick, he, he was no slouch himself. Antoine Walker actually made first-team all-rookie that season. He would also become a three-time NBA All-Star and won an NBA title in 2006 with the Dallas Mavericks. But what Antoine Walker is most known for is not for being a great basketball player, but what he is most known for is for being a prodigal. In his career, Antoine Walker made a reported $108 million. $108 million. I want you to think about $108 million and what you would do if you found that in your bank account this afternoon. $108 million is what he reportedly made in his NBA career and subsequently blew every dime. How do you blow $108 million? I know some of you are sitting here saying, with your dignified self, well, if I had $108 million, I would pay off my student loans. I would get a new car. I would, I, would, I would get a, a nice house. I would help my parents out. And I would help my aunts and my uncles and my siblings and my long lost cousins. And I would do a lot of things for a lot of people. I would have to update my wardrobe to go with my new house and my new car. There are several things that I have to do, but there is no way that I would blow $108 million Well, how do you blow $108 million? You blow it when you live the life of a prodigal. Some of the things that Antoine Walker spent his $108 million in earnings on was a $400,000 Mercedes Maybach. I don't know if you've seen one of these things, but you have to have a driver with one of these things. He brought several homes. He took care of several family members. I'm sorry, several leeches. And at one point, Walker and a teammate were robbed at gunpoint coming out of a restaurant on the south side of Chicago. The robbery is not the story. The story is that the robber got away with $200,000 in jewelry from Antoine Walker. He was wearing that. And it really hit rock bottom when he lost tons of money in bad real estate investments. And it finally got to its worst point when a casino went public with Walker's inability to repay his gambling debts. And because of the news spreading about his gambling debts, at that point, his decisions had gotten him blackballed from the NBA, so he was no longer able to make the money to recover what he lost. He could never again recover what it was that he lost, which was everything. He was a prodigal but Jesus also has the story about being a prodigal and the context that we find ourselves in today in today's passages is Jesus is a gr- addressing a group of people called the Pharisees and the scribes and it's in regards to their complaints about Jesus keeping company with sinners and sharing meals with them. You see, these religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees and the scribes, they were those who kept strict outward observance of the Jewish law. They, they knew the Torah, the first five books of the Bible, the Pentateuch. They knew the first five books of the Bible quite well. When I, when I say they knew it, it's not like they had a frame of reference with it. They knew it by heart. Let me put that in context with you. When's the last time you read through the entire book of Numbers? A Leviticus? A Leviticus? Surely you've read through the entire book of Deuteronomy. Surely you know Genesis from beginning to end, right? Well, if you don't, they knew it by heart. That's how deep in they were committed to their religious exploits. See, they don't have a regular prayer life. They prayed every day for hours at a time with strict observance. They are always at the synagogue or always at the temple. They don't miss a gathering under any circumstances. They are always there. No matter what happens in life, they are at the synagogue. And the problem with them is that they have a problem with Jesus for being associated with the non-religious people of the world. They have a problem with Jesus and who Jesus is hanging out with. And what they could never seem to understand about Jesus is that he said it is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And so there's a group of people that Jesus wanted to hang out with that he always hung out with. There were two sets of people. One was called the tax tax collectors. And so when you think about tax collectors today, you think about the nice lady at H&R Block. You think the people at Jackson Hewitt. You think those nice people. But tax collectors in those days were something radically different than what we know as tax collectors. You see, tax collectors in those days were people who worked for the Roman government, but they were Jewish people. And so they would take money from their own people to pay for the oppressor, to pay for the uh, Roman government. And while they were taking money from their own people to give to the Roman government, they would line up their own pockets. so uh, So the Jewish people saw the tax collectors as traitors because they extorted their own people. They were the ultimate of what we would call a sellout. And Jesus is hanging with them. And then there's other group of people called sinners that Jesus will hang out with, the tax collectors and the sinners. He welcomes tax collectors and sinners. He welcomes both the sinners. You think, "Oh, I'm a sinner, like I'm a sinner, saved by grace. So Jesus will hang out with me. No, when they talk about sinners here, I need you to think, woman at the well with five husbands. I need you to think of the most immoral people that you could think of. I, I need you to think about that. Also, I want to add this to sinners. Sinners were people who had some sort of physical deformity of something wrong with them. I want you to think of the lame people who could not get around the beggars in the Bible. I want you to think about the lepers in the Bible, those had, who had to keep on the outside of the camp. I want you to think about uh, uh, the, 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 the man born blind. blind. Remember when they said in John 9, who's seeing him and his parents? Because they thought if you had a deformity, it was because of something that you did or some sin that was on your life or some curse that was on your life. And so the religious people wanted nothing to do with these people. And here Jesus is hanging with them. And So Jesus is hanging with the tax collectors and the sinners. But that's not the deepest of the problems. The real problem is not that he's hanging with them, not that he's welcoming them, not that he's sharing this good news with them. But Jesus is eating with these people. And so you don't think anything is important about eating with people because you go and eat with people all the time. You just meet somebody, you want to fill them out, you invite them to Starbucks, y'all go to Foxtel Coffee, you go to Panera, wherever you want to go, and you have meetings there. You you want to get along with them, you want to see. And if you vibe, we vibe cool, we keep it going, but if not, that's fine. But in those days and in this custom, to eat with somebody meant that you accepted them for who they were. So if you ate with somebody, you were accepting them and their lifestyle. And somebody in here is like, oh, great, I got plenty of sinful friends. So I'm cool. This is great. This is right up my alley because all my friends are sinners. But, but, but here's the problem. Here's the problem with it. Here's the problem. When Jesus did have meals with those people, he had a purpose and a mission in mind. He wasn't meeting them just to meet with them. And so we have to understand that, that although Jesus hung out with non-religious people, part of being a follower of Jesus means associating with sinners but not sharing in their activities. But having a relationship with them that is available and approachable we, we should all be meeting with sinners we should all be sharing our faith we should all be, be inviting other people who are not believers to come into a community with us the reason why the churches aren't full isn't because the music is good or the preaching is bad it's because believers are not doing what they've been called to do because they think that the great commission is a great suggestion when it's a great commandment And so, therefore, we can walk by unsaved people every day of our lives and not even care about their souls. We can have unsaved friends, but we never take the time to talk about God and invite them into community with other believers because we really don't care. And so, Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners, but he has a purpose in mind, and that is offensive to the religious leaders and the religious people. And so, Jesus, knowing that they have a problem with this, he wants to tell them a story And it's a parable. For those of you who don't know what a parable is, a parable is a story that is not necessarily true, but it's a story to convey a deeper spiritual meaning. So oftentimes Jesus talked in parables sometimes to keep the non-spiritual from understanding, but in other times so that the non-spiritual could understand what he was trying to do. And today we see one of Jesus' most famous parables. So if you look at Luke chapter 15, There's one large story broken down into three parables, and today we'll talk about the most popular one in the climax, the one that is called the parable of the lost son, or what you would call the prodigal son. The prodigal son. But here's the problem with calling it the prodigal son the man doesn't just have one son, he has two sons. And if we don't look at both of these sons, then we'll miss the whole point of the parable. Here is the scene. There is a wealthy father. When you think about wealth, I don't want you to think about rich. You can lose rich in a crazy summer. Wealth is something that you can't get rid of even if you want to. Wealth is the Waltons. Wealth is the Kennedys. Wealth is something that never runs out, and you have a wealthy father who is a wealthy landowner, and he has two sons. But one day, his youngest son decides that he's tired of living under his father's authority and in his father's house, and so he wants to separate from his father. But in order to go out on his own, he needs his father's resources. And so what the son does, he's smart. He understands that although I'm not the oldest, I'm the youngest. So that means I'm entitled to at least a third of my father's assets. So in order to fulfill what I want to fulfill out there in the world separate from my father, I'm going to need his blessings and I'm going to need his money. And so he makes a request to his father for his portion of the inheritance and so really, why would this son ask for this? Because he's tired of being restrained. He, he's, he, he's tired of being under his father's thumb. He wants to get out and do his own thing. And so as opposed to waiting for his father to die in order to inherit what he's supposed to inherit, he asked for it now. And I don't know if you understand this, but can you imagine if your mom or your dad or some family member left you something but you had to wait for them to die in order for you to get it, but you told them, give it to me now, what you would essentially be saying to them is, I don't want to wait for you to die. I want you to die now so I can get what you've left for me. And so essentially what he's asking his father is for his father to give up his very life. And so the son is asking for it. He's like, hey, give me my portion now so I could go on with my life. He is simply saying, I cannot wait for you to die. So this son is asking for his father to do the unthinkable. The Bible says he asked for the estate. The estate, that word there means life. So he's essentially asking his father for his very life because his father's not dead yet. And so... He's looking to sever this relational tie with his father. And so the first contention that we see in the text is that for a parent, can you imagine how that would feel for your child to simply convey to you that they can't wait for you to die? And so this father must be feeling this rejected, this rejected love that I have a son that I love so dearly. But he wants me to die. That's, that, that must be hard for a parent to want to do everything for their children, to, to, to offer them, their children all of the resources in the world, but their children don't want them. That, that must be hard. And so this father, he does the unthinkable, he does the unthinkable, and he grants the son's request. Can you imagine asking your mother right now, Mama, give me all your money right now. I don't care. Now, I know how some of you grew up. And if you asked your mother today, you wouldn't be here next, week, next Sunday. I would have to do all kinds of funerals in the next coming weekends. But yet this father grants the request to his son. And I know you're thinking, like, man, that's awesome. That's, that's great. He, like, he's willing to give it all for, for, for his son. That, that must mean he approves. No, that doesn't necessarily mean he approves. But, but really, this could be taken to show Uh, Sometimes how when we want something or someone so bad, God is willing to let us go and have it anyway. He's willing to give us what we ask for. And so he wanted what the father could give, but he didn't want the father himself. He just wanted his gifts. And that is what it means to be lost. And so this guy, he's anxious to gain his freedom. He understands that if I could just get away from a father, I can get away from, this, from, from, from my family. If I could just get away from the community of faith, the longer I stay the fr- away, the freer I can be. If I go far enough, I don't have to be accountable to anybody. I can go off and do my own thing. I can have my own freedom, my own fulfillment. I want to be my own boss. So whenever we run away from God, that is what we're conveying, that God, I don't need you. But I expect you to take care of me while I'm gone. I still expect to breathe your air. I still expect for you to wake me up in the morning. I expect you to do all of the take take care of me and keep me safe while I'm out here, while I'm not in the world. I expect nothing to happen. I don't want anything to do with you, but I do need your blessings and for you to cover me. And that is essentially what we convey to God when we want to run away from him and run away from the community of faith. And I am afraid that we have so many prodigals that have come through the church doors, but because they want their own freedom and want to be from under the authority of the Father, they are willing to go out in the world and be separated. And so it says that this son gets everything. He he gathers all that he has. He, He takes all of his property and he turns it into cash. He sells everything that his father has given him. And it doesn't take him long to blow everything that, that, that he's given. And so it says he, he spent it, it recklessly. That, that really means that he went out and bought some luxurious stuff. That, that means that he went out and bought a Louis belt. He bought some Gucci loafers. He bought a Maserati. He bought a Lamborghini truck. He bought a Rolls Royce. He spent all of his, he liquidated some of the cash, broke it down into $1 bills, so he can go somewhere and make it rain while he was away from the father. He spent all of his money. And so the word prodigal, when we look at it, it doesn't mean somebody that's lost, but really the word prodigal means recklessly wasteful recklessly wasteful, to spend everything that you have, to give everything away, to spend until you have nothing left. And so whenever we take God, what God has blessed us with and we dictate what we are supposed to do with it, we're exhibiting prodigal behavior. And so oftentimes we, we think about this in terms of money, but, but money is not a blessing when it's in the wrong hands. Money is not a blessing to someone that would gamble it away. When you don't have a plan and some discipline, you will run through whatever you've been praying for. And so it's just not money that we squander, though. But when we exhibit prodigal behavior, we squander relationships. We squander opportunities. We squander gifts and talents that the Lord has given us, and we go take it and we waste it elsewhere. And that's what it means to be a prodigal. But the prodigal, something happens to him like it happens to most of us when we get into those types of seasons. You ever had a season where it felt like everything was going wrong back to back to back to back to back? You go to take your car in for oil change, and they diagnose your car with transmission issues, engine issues, everything's broke. And you're like, I just came here for oil change, sir. I got the $70 for the oil change. All this other stuff missed me with all that. I don't need a tire rotation. I don't need need none of that other stuff. I just came here for the oil change, sir. That's all I need, right there, just the oil change. I didn't need your diagnosis. You want us to run a diagnostic? No. I want you to put some new oil in my car. But things just keep happening. You, you lose money, things break, things, people get sick, you get sick. You just run, it's just a season where it rains when it pours, and the sun gets out on his own. He had all the money to begin with. He spends it all, and then a famine hits the land. And he has nothing and nowhere to go because he decided to separate himself from his father and from his family and from the community of faith. And so what does he have to do? He's got to get a job and he's got to go now work out in the world from up under the father's provision because he decided that he wanted to do things his way. And so it says that he found some Gentile, some non-Jewish person to work with. He found a Gentile that, would, that, that he could work for and he goes and he work, gives him a job working with pigs. So he has to work in a pig pen. And see, that's not significant to you and I because you and I like bacon. It's like, that's gonna sound like a bad gig to me. But we don't realize, was for Jewish people, pigs were considered unclean. And so the last thing that a Jewish person is going to do is gonna work with pigs. This is lower than cleaning a toilet. This is lower than, than, than the lowest job that you could ever think. It was to be humiliated, to not have any honor or any dignity for yourself as a person. If you go and you work with pigs and this is where he finds himself, he has hit rock bottom in his life because now he is relegated to do what no other Jewish person would be wanting to do. And here he is because he made a decision to separate from his father. And so... He can't even provide for his own basic needs. He's out there literally in the world starving. He wants to eat, and he can't even eat. But you know what? That's what we attempt to do when we decide what God has provided for us is not enough, that the things that he's provided for us to enjoy in this life is not enough, and we go searching for something else to do it our way. We are chasing only what God can give us and satisfy us with, but because we're chasing what we're chasing is fleeting, we don't realize it until we're willing to eat out of the trash, and I'm afraid too many of us are eating out of the trash. And so this son has hit rock bottom, and what I want you to get out of this about this younger son is this. This is our spiritual condition if we're, not, if we're not in union with Jesus Christ. You are living the lowest of the low life, even if you don't think you are. But any life that is outside of the will of God and outside of a relationship with Jesus Christ is rock bottom. It is the lowest of the low. I don't care what culture tells you. I don't care how many people command you, commend you for being out on your own and being a boss and doing things your way and separating from the community of faith. You are at the lowest of the low and you don't even know. And this is where the son finds himself. And we've all been there at different seasons of our lives where we know, man, I'm better. I I know I shouldn't be here. I know I shouldn't be wilding out. But something wonderful and something beautiful happens, and this is why I thank God for the Holy Spirit. Verse 17 tells us what happens to the son. It says, when he came to his senses, and I think today God is calling somebody to come to their senses. And he said this. He was like, yo, I'm out here wilding out. I'm out here starving, working with pigs. Like, like my, father is, my father is rich, but i have relegated to work out and to, to work in a pig's pen, and I'm starving, and my father has everything? That doesn't make any sense. He comes to his senses. Here's what he said. How many of my father's hired workers have more than enough food. They, they work for my father, and they have more than enough food. And here I am, a son of a wealthy man, and I'm starving and dying of hunger. Here's what he said. He says, okay. So this is, I'm, I'm, I'm going too far. I know what. I'm going to swallow my pride, and no matter what it looks like to go back and face, I'm going to go back to my father. But before I go back, I need to rehearse my speech. You ever broke something <laughs> before your parents came home? You ever did something crazy? And 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 you like like you knew, like they already know. <laughs> like you did something at school, they called home already, and you it's like, it's like one o'clock, and you got to figure out what you, go, you got to come up with, like, the, the greatest speech ever between one and five. Like, I got to figure this thing. I got to get my facial expressions right. I got I to gotta get my posture right. I got to get, get some tears going. You got to go into an Academy Award winning role, right, to, 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 to get some mercy. And, and so here's what he says, he says, I'll get up and I'll go to my father, and I'll say, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Now, that do not sound real. Let me, let me try again. Okay. Daddy, <laughs> mama, what had happened was I had sinned against God and in you, to you, and um, I'm no longer worthy. I don't, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. That's how bad I've been. And he says something in verse 19: He says, Make me like one of your hired servants. Make me like one of your hired servants. And and so he 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 finds himself at the point where he knows I can't keep living like this. And he has to ask himself a couple questions outside of his speech. Am I going to stay here in this rebellious state and let my pride get in the way of me knowing that I should go back home? You see, this ain't a physical story. This is a spiritual story. Am I going to be? I I know I'm wrong, but I can't turn around and face God. I I know my own issues. I know what I've done, and I I just can't. I know I'm not right. I cannot go back home because I'm going to get in trouble. And so you have to ask yourself, is my situation desperate enough yet for me to stay here and die? Or do I need to just swallow my pride, admit that I was wrong, and go back home? And maybe this morning God is asking you, are you ready to come back home yet? How long are you going to stay outside? How long are you going to live this life? How long are you going to keep up this charade? How long are you willing to let your pride say, I'm going to stay here and do it my way and work it out when you know that God has something different for you? And the son has to come to this conclusion, and so he... Rehearses his speech and he realizes, man, I don't deserve for my father to receive me back. I don't. I messed up. I lost everything. I lost everything. But here's the the wonderful thing about the son that we have to see. The son is so broken that he is willing to come with humility and repentance. I'm reminded of King David when he committed the sin of all sins. He messed up worse than anybody. I know you've messed up bad, but you ain't messed up that bad. And here's what David realized in Psalm 51 verse 17. Here's what David said. The sacrifice pleasing to God is a broken spirit you will not despise a broken and humble heart, God. He knows that if I come back to God with a humble spirit and a broken heart and I'm truly repentant, that God will receive me back home. He realizes that. But he realizes another thing. Like, I'm out here and I'm at the lowest point, but there are slaves at my father's house who are living better than I do. I got my freedom, but my life is a mess. These slaves, they work for my father, but all of their needs are met. They're not worried about anything, but I'm making a choice to live outside of my father's will. I think I'm smart, but if I really think about my decision, this is real dumb. This is real dumb. And I think he realized and would have been reminded of the psalmist who said, better is one day in your court than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than to dwell in the tents of wickedness. I would rather be the lowest of the low in my father's house and in his presence than be in the mansion where I have everything but I'm outside of God's will. And I don't think we desire alone for God's presence that bad because if we did, we wouldn't do what we do. And so we've relegated ourselves as Christians or sons and daughters that we determine, you know what? We're like Christian snowbirds. You know what a snowbird is? A snowbird is somebody who lives up north. But in the winter, they come and live in Florida. And we have relegated ourselves that when times are good, we live up north. But when it gets cold, we go back home. And when the seasons change, we go back up north. And when it gets cold, we come back down to the Father's house. And God is calling us to stay at home all seasons. And the son has to realize that. And the son makes a decision to come home. But I want you to notice three things that the son does. son acknowledges his wrongdoing. I made some, I'm, I'm, I'm dead wrong. He acknowledges this. He demonstrates humility. Because to say I'm wrong and to admit it, To know you're wrong is one thing, but to admit you're wrong takes humility. He says, I messed up. And he decides to repent because knowing you're wrong and then doing nothing about it is not real. But real repentance is, I know I'm wrong and I'm turning away from this and going back where I belong. And the son does this. But here's a problem. The son says in his speech, you know what, i just ask my father to let me be a hired servant. And what he's saying is, I want to pay for what I've done wrong. I want to pay for it. I want to work off my debt. I know I'm in the hole with my father, so I want to work my debt off. So I'm going to ask him to give me a job so I can make sure the books are straight, I pay back my balance, and that I pay back for my ex- expenses. But the problem is, he's blown everything, and so somebody that is not the son has to pay for what he's lost because there can't be forgiveness without somebody paying for it, because forgiveness is costly. Forgiveness is costly. And so the son has blown everything, severed ties, made his father a public disgrace, disgraced his family, left the household of faith, left the community of faith. He's out here on his own. He's going to be cut off from the community because of what he has done. And so he makes the decision, all right, it's time for me to go home. And here's what it says, verses 20 through 24. Here's what it says so I got up and went, he, he got up and went to his father. But while the son was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion. It makes me think that the father never said, you know what, forget my son. It makes me think that if the father saw him while he was coming, the father never stopped looking for him. And the father takes off running and he throws his arms around his son's neck and he starts, this is the same son that blew everything. He throws his arms around his son. He starts kissing on his son. I'm talking about this is Birdman and Lil Wayne. He starts kissing his son. He starts kissing his son. He starts kissing his son. Something's wrong with you guys. And the son said to him, Father, his speech, remember the speech he rehearsed. Father, I'm sorry. I messed up. I'm no longer the word to call your son. I want to be a hired servant. I want to pay off my debts. But look at what the son says when he actually gets in the father's presence. Verse 21, the son said to the father while the father's arm is wrapped around him, he's embracing his son. He says, I have sinned against heaven. The son acknowledges that the first person that I've offended is not my father, but the first person I've offended is God. He says, and then I offended you because whenever you make a mistake or you offend the person, it's not that you sinned against the person first. You offended God first, and then you offended the person. So the first person you need to get it right with is God. Then you get it right with the person. And so he says, I sinned against heaven and your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And then what happened to the other line? "I, I sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He rehearsed that part. But then the other part that it rehearsed ain't in there. Now. And all of a sudden it just says, "But the father told his servants quick." Bring out the best robe and put it on and put a ring on his finger, sandals on his feet. Then bring the fattened calf, slaughter it, and let's celebrate with a feast because the son of mine was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found, so they begin to celebrate. The first thing I want you to notice about the father is that older men in that culture did not run because it was undignified. And so we see a father breaking protocol, not caring what people think about him. He loves his son so much that he's willing to leave where he is and meet him where he is. That's beautiful. And so he runs to him. He runs to him. He grabs him. He embraces him. He doesn't fuss at him. He doesn't chastise him. He doesn't tell him he did wrong. He doesn't let him finish out his apology. He doesn't do anything. The son doesn't have to explain himself. The father doesn't punch him in the face. He doesn't threaten him never to do it again. He doesn't do any of that stuff. He just loves on him. And what the father is doing by running to the son is he's reconciling himself to the son before anybody else in the community can get to him. Because what you don't know is he's disgraced his whole family and people are just waiting for him to come back into the house so they can throw stones at him. But the father loves his son so much. He's willing to go and meet his son and cover his son before anybody else can accuse him of anything. And so he's going out to meet his son where he is, even if it brings shame to him. He wants to be able to reconcile his son before anybody else can do anything with him. And that's how the Father treats us. When we're ready to come back in, you're worried about what people are saying, not realizing that once you decided to come back, God has already met you where you are, and therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And the Father is initiating reconciliation. He's he's, he's initiating this because repentance brings reconciliation. I'm sorry doesn't bring reconciliation. Repentance does. I'm sorry is, I'm sorry I messed up. I'm probably going to do it again. Repentance is, I messed up. I don't ever plan to do this again. I'm sorry. I'm turning from that and turning to God. That's what repentance is. And so he never gets to the part about the hired servants. I wanna wanna work. He never gets to that part. You know why he doesn't never get to that part? Other part of the speech he rehearsed, you know why he doesn't? Because the father doesn't need him to pay for it. The father immediately says, hey, bring out the best robe. You know what that meant? That meant bring him my robe. Bring, 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 a, bring, a, bring a ring, bring out the ring, that, that's, a, that's a symbol of sonship. He, he's a son, he's not a slave, he's my son. And bring him some shoes. You know why, because slaves don't wear shoes, but sons do. Bring, bring the fat calf, that's important because Jewish people in the first century typically didn't have meat with their meals, except for on special occasions. So he's celebrating his son's return. And this is the same way Jesus treats us. He robes us in the righteousness of Jesus. He, gets, he seals us with the Holy Spirit. He, he, he makes our feet shod with the gospel of peace, the shoes of salvation. And he invites us to sit down and have table fellowship with him in the banquet of heaven. And the father is showing us in this story how God treats us when we've been separated from him. And so if you thought the son was the prodigal, you are sadly mistaken. The real prodigal in this story is the father. Because if prodigal means reckless spending, extravagant spending, the father gives everything that he has to the son. And so really we're not looking at a prodigal son, we're looking at a prodigal God. A God who spares no expense on his children. A God who gives his children everything. When they try to pay for themselves, he says, no, I got you. Put your money away. Put your debit card back. You can't pay this off. I got you. You don't have to pay for anything with me. Everything that you could pay for, I already paid for it. That's a prodigal God who wastes and spends everything. He spares no expense for his children because they are his sons and his daughters. And it does not matter what they've done. It does not matter how far far they've fallen or what they've done in their lives. He welcomes them back and clothes them in righteousness and treats them as if nothing ever happened. And I have to ask myself the question, who wouldn't want a God like that? Who would want a God like that? Give him everything. Give him your whole life. But every day we have this prodigal God that is available and waiting for us. And we make a decision to say, no, I'll do it my way. And here we see this father welcoming this son back. And the story should end right there. That's it. We celebrate, go home. I messed up. God accepts me back. We throw a party. We have a fattened calf. We eat everything. We got on the best clothes. We got on Gucci sandals and Gucci flip flops and a Gucci robe, and everything is right in the world. There's a problem. There's another son. He has two sons. The youngest son leaves, but the oldest son stays there. And here's what it says, verses 25 through 31. Now his oldest son was in the field. As he came to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he summoned one of the servants, questioning what these things meant. He hears the music, right? I need you to get in the picture. He's out in the field. He's out there doing his thing. And the house is a little bit off in the distance. And they got the music playing. He's like, take my horse to the old town road. I'm going to ride into the can no more. am going to take What is happening at the house? Dad is listening to Old Town room? and they having a party, and nobody invited me. I'm, what is happening? And then he calls one of the hire workers, like, Hey, 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 what, what's, what's going on in the house? Is there is, is some happening? And if so, why didn't nobody tell me? I'm the oldest. I'm, I'm supposed to know what's going on here. And he was like, yo, oh, oh, boys, I got some good news. Your brother's back. Yo, we found your brother. So your dad says, yo, go get the fattened calf, get the best meat, slaughter it. We're about to have a feast. Now, mind you, to slaughter a calf pro- slaughter a fattened calf would have probably took hours. So this father's like, I don't care how long does it takes, call out the whole community, call everybody. It's like one of those parties they have when, when, when somebody that's been down for a long time comes back home from the extended vacation. You got an uncle. You got a cousin, you have a brother, you know somebody in your family that's been known for a long time. Took a long vacation in a good gated community. (laughs) (laughs) And they come home, and that's what's happening. And he's like, what's happening? So he's telling your brother's home, we got the fattened cab, it's about to be on, it's lit in the house, it's litty. Everything is, everybody's there. And here's what happens when he tells them that they're celebrating his brother. Verse 28 says he got angry. And he didn't even want to go in the house to the party. What kind of brother do you have to be to find out your brother's life has been saved and you get angry about it? So his father realizes the son is angry. So the father once again leaves his position and comes out to plead and talk with his son. Once again, we see the father showing initiation. He comes out to talk to the son. And so the father's pleading, come in the house, come in the house, come in the house. And here's what he says to his father. I I want you to hear this in verse 29. He replied to the father. He didn't say father, it says he replied to the father. Here's what he says Look, look, I have been slaving many years for you, and I never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me a goat so that I could go celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, but when this son of yours came who has devoured your assets with prostitutes, you slaughtered the fattened calf for him. And the, son, and the father said, son, you are always with me and I, everything that I have is yours. So let me tell you about this older son. He is the son that always did everything right. This is the kid that never gave his problem his father, his father any problems. He, he was the kid that was always making good grades in school. He always came home with them stupid honor roll certificates. <laughs> he had perfect attendance. So? He always had the little stickers when he was a kid, the little scratch-off stickers that make the, the they don't have those in the 80s. They had the little stickers. You, you got a little fragrance on the stickers. He always had those. He got stars on his paper. A pluses. Didn't care about the the bell curve. He was the bell curve. (laughs) Always in church, always serving, always faithful, does everything that the Bible requires. He's a good kid. But for whatever reason, look at his response. What good kid responds with anger when somebody's life is saved, especially your brother? What's, what is the underlying issue? It says he got angry. That means explosive anger. He was cussing people out. The good kid was cussing people out. They're like, you cuss? I didn't even know you cuss. And you know what his problem is? He wanted his brother to pay for his sins. He said, this ain't fair. Where is the justice in this situation? Here I am, been doing everything right, serving God like I'm supposed to, doing everything you tell me to do, and this joker been out in the world, wilding out, and you let him come back in and you throw a party for him? That's not fair. He should not be able to get back in the same position that I'm in, because he has not been as good as I've been. And so he shouldn't be able to get off without punishment. He need a whooping or something. And so because of that, I'm not coming back in the house. What is his problem? What Jesus is showing us with him is that he represents the Pharisees who do everything right. But they have a problem when others who have not been so perfect come back into the house. And so the other bro- older brother is really the intended target of the story. He's the Pharisees. He can't bring himself to come in and celebrate his brother's return. And so for him to refuse to go into the house to celebrate his brother at the request of his father is the most offensive thing in the entire story. He doesn't understand Luke 15 and 7 where Jesus says there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over ninety nine others who are righteous and have not strayed. I didn't earn it. I don't deserve y'all sing it and don't live it. Still you give yourself away. all oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. But if somebody that is not as holy as you comes in, you look at them sideways. That ain't reckless love. That's reckless judgment. That's reckless hypocrisy. How can a person who's done everything right be so upset that someone else has been restored to God. How can a person resent another person being shown grace when they are already alive because of the same grace? And so the father's response to this older brother, he leaves the party to go talk to him. And once again, the father is trying to reconcile and contend with his his son. And the older brother's issue is this. He's comparing his own self-righteousness against his brother's. And here's the problem. We are not the standard of righteousness. Jesus is. Stop comparing people to you and how good you've been. You compare yourself to the righteousness of Jesus and see won't you be at the Father's feet begging for mercy because none of us measure up even on our best day. And so, I just, I just need real quick, look at, look, at this, look at this son. First of all, The father comes out to talk to him like he got some sense. And he says to his father, look, you know, certain things happen in culture that you can ascribe. You can tell who it was and who it wasn't. There's some things that happen in the news. I'm like, I already know. I already know who that was. (laughs) And then there's some things in culture that happen. I'm like, I know who that wasn't. I know who didn't do that one. Y'all catch my drift. And so I can draw conclusions from this when He says, look, to his parent, I know what he wasn't. Because <laughs> it would have been look up, off the floor. And he says, look, disrespectful. All of a sudden, when the righteous one doesn't get his way, his real heart is revealed. Then he says, I've been slaving. I'm out here working as a slave for you. Wait a minute. How are you working as a slave when you're a son? And you probably were out supervising. So how are you saying that you are a slave? And if you are a slave, the slave job was to serve the people. So if you are not, in, if you're a slave, why are you not in the house serving your brother? You wouldn't have a choice but to be in the house if you were a slave. But yet and still, I'm out here talking to you, contending with you. And so he's saying he's slaving. You know why he's saying that? Because he served his father from a place of obligation and not a place of love. And whenever you serve from obligation and not from love, it will feel like slavery. And we have too many people in our churches serving out of obligation, looking for a means to an end and not serving out of love. You fool us, you show up because you love Jesus, but you really serve because you love what he can do for you. But we have to get to a place where serving comes from a posture of love for the Father and who he is, not what I can get from him. Amen. Jesus does not work for you. The son is revealing his real attitude and his real posture. His real attitude and his real posture. This son of yours. You know somebody ain't got nothing to do with you. When y'all having a family conversation you're like, get your, that's, that's your daughter. That's your, you ever heard one of your parents say that when you was messing up to your other parents? That's your, come get your son from over here. Come get your daughter. That's your sister. No, that's your brother. You know that's when people ain't got nothing to do with you no more. (laughs) They don't even refer to you by name. And he says, this son of yours. And he adds another thing. He said, he out devouring assets with prostitutes. Now, mind you, nowhere in the story does it tell us that the older brother and the younger brother met up while the younger brother was out in the world. So the question is, how do you know your brother was spending money on prostitutes? Who told you that? Are you slandering him or are you letting us into an insight into your own heart if you were able to leave and what you would spend your money on? And so there's so many things that are wrong with this. And he's revealing that he is a covert sinner. He looks good on the outside, does everything right. But on the inside, he's as rotten and as far away from God as a brother who left. Isn't isn't it amazing that you can be around the place of God and not be anywhere near him? That the brother who is far away physically from God is the same distance away from God in his heart as the one who's home? That is an amazing story, and that's what it points us to. He was further away from the father all along, and he had never left the house. And so he was using his good behavior as a means to control outcomes of his life. I'm being good so that I can get these things that I'm praying for. I'm going to serve this week because I know I got, I got a job I'm trying to apply for. I sent these resumes, so I need to get my act together with God so he can bless me. I know I got, I'm trying to get this promotion at work, so I'm about to be good for this season. I'm going to turn it up. Every time they open, I'm going to be up in here. They have, they have a prayer on Tuesday night. I know I need this job. I'm tired of my job. I hate my boss. I hate where I am. They don't pay me enough money. Man, I'm, I got a I I balance at school that I need to pay off. So let me just behave so that God can bless me. But as soon as they pay my balance off, <laughs> they won't see me no more. As soon as this season of my life gets back together and we start getting along again and things get back right, then I'm going to go right back outside. Because in actuality, what I'm trying to prove to you and say to you is that I don't really love God for who he is. I'm just using him to get what I want. And whenever you're using somebody to get what you want, that ain't a real relationship. So I'm wondering, graciously wondering this morning, how many of us love God for God? Because if you love him for who he is, you would never get enough of him. And if you understood the nature of grace, you would never run away from him. How do you run away from somebody that owns every square inch of everything? Y'all missed that. That'll get y'all Wednesday. He'd be like, wait, oh, I can't believe Did he just say, yep. So even when you're running, you're not running. A little kid runs away from his parents in the house, and he's hiding. You can't hide from me and what I own. You ever had those parents? You can't close the door in the house, or they take the door completely off, completely off the hinge. What privacy? This is my house. This is my drawers. It's my closet. My shoe boxes. It's my under the bed. I own all of that, and I can search it anytime, in a place, anywhere I feel like it. And that's what God is saying to you. I might let you think you're running, but you haven't gone anywhere. But I'm so gracious, when you decide that you're tired of running from me, and what's mine, I'll be here waiting for you. Matter of fact, I'm going to run and meet you, because that's how much I love you. And this story is so much about the scandalous grace of God but it's also about how we should love those who are outside of the family of God that we should be waiting for them running to them to, 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 to have joy for them to come back home when your brothers and sisters go, go missing why don't you care Why don't you call and check on them? Why don't don't you say, hey, I haven't seen you in six weeks. I haven't seen you in three weeks. You used to be consistent. What happened to you? You having relationship issues? You having money problems? Who are you offended at? What happened in your life? Why are you running from God? Why have you stopped serving? What changed? Because God didn't. What happened in your life? But we don't care. Because in some sick, twisted, sinful way, we now have another person to compare our righteousness to that makes us feel better about ourselves. Huh. I've been here six weeks straight. Take that, take that, take that. And people come back and be like, where you been? As opposed to running to them, embracing them. You know what? I don't even need no explanation. Just come here. I love you. I'm glad to see you. I'm, I'm glad you're back here. I, I, I hope you never leave us again. I, ca- I care about you. Do you tell your unsaved friends, you know you have a father that loves you? That he's just waiting for you to come home? That everything that you're trying to achieve, these degrees, this job, this promotion, this internship, this, this, this raise, all that stuff you're trying to get, you have a father that will take care of you? That love. Do you share that with your friends? Or do you say... I know you're not going to listen to anything i got to say. But our approach should be that we love people so much, that we love Jesus so much, we love people the way he does. That it doesn't matter what they've done or where they've come from, we understand that we all are prodigal. We all have lost our way. We all have ran away from home, even if we stayed in church. That at some point our hearts were gone. And So we serve a prodigal God who loves you so much, and who has a scandalous grace. And I'll say this, and I'm done. Remember that line I told you all about the hired servants? He didn't say that to the father. He, he, never, he never got to that part. The father cut him off. He didn't even listen to it. He's like, I don't want to hear the rest of your speech. Go get the best robe for my son. There's a reason why. The father realizes, you can't pay me back for what you lost. Here's Why? Here's what was supposed to happen. The problem with this older brother is this older brother, the older brother was supposed to be the one to satisfy the debts of the younger brother. He was supposed to step up to the plate and say, Daddy, you know what? I I got it. I'll take care of what my brother's lost. I, I got you. I got it. I'll take care of it. But the older brother never steps up to the plate. And two things are happening in this text. The first thing is we see the younger brother is now on the inside. And the one who did everything right is on the outside, a divine reversal. The one who did everything right, showed up on time, was always there, was very faithful, always did the right things. And now he's standing on the outside, and the one who was rebellious and running away is now in the presence of the Father. And his older brother is there. He didn't take up for his older, he didn't take up for his younger brother. He didn't fill in what he should have filled in. But Jesus leaves this parable blank. What kind of movie doesn't give you an outcome so I can have a sequel? You got to have a sequel. At least give me a sequel. Don't just leave. Don't tell me what happened. But I think Jesus leaves the story blank and we don't know if the son went in the house or not. We don't know if the older one ever went in. You know why? Because in God's divine sovereignty, he wanted us to put ourselves in that story and make a decision if we would stay on the outside and go in his presence. Today the question is, will you be okay with being around God or will you go and be with God? There should be one thing in this world that stops you from pursuing God with all your heart. But things get in the way, people get in the way, life gets in the way, finances gets in the way. We want to go our own way and it keeps us on the outside. But maybe this morning God has you here on this Sunday because He wants you to be in a consistent, real relationship with Him. Not because of what He can do for you, but because you love Him. Because He is. Because He is. Because He is. He's good just like He is. If He never does another thing, He's done enough. Real love ain't contingent upon what I'm getting at this present moment of time in my life. But real love is I love you just because I love you. And that's how God looks at you. But how will you respond to his love? The older brother doesn't pay for his younger brother's mistakes. But the good news is we have an older brother, a right older brother. And his name is Jesus and he has paid back all of our debts. Everything that we've squandered in our lives, he pays it back. Every bad decision that you made that cost you something, Jesus has paid and satisfied the debt. Whatever bill you've racked up that you don't have enough money to pay for, I'm not talking about physical, I'm talking about spiritual. Jesus has paid the price for it. And now all you need to do is make a decision whether you will go and be in relationship